You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Word Podcast. I am Jim Adair. With me as always is Max Rappaport. Max, how you doing? Doing great, Jim. Max, I, I want to go back. I'm saying this, I was saying, but I, I haven't done this. I would like to eventually maybe have somebody else do this because I hate hearing my own voice. Go back and just like see what the tone of my voice is after when we podcast after a win versus after a loss. Do an analysis. Like, am I like lower after a loss? Like, welcome to the step over. Am I like, hey guys, what's up? You know, after a win. I think it's, there's probably something to that. Um, but anyway, Max, uh, win last night. Um, among other things, before we get to the grander picture around the team, uh, Joel Embiid scored a career-high 49 points last night uh, in very Joel Embiid fashion um, by hitting free throws and uh, getting fouls called and then reaching, tying his career-high and then uh, besting it with a just shimmy, step-back typey three-pointer, which after which he did the, the Hulk Hogan Iverson ear. He Millie rocked a little bit. Was going to probably go for more than 49. Kevin Huerta stole the ball from him. He flipped Kevin Huerta off and then apologized afterwards <laughs> uh, and then said fuck on TV. A very Joel Embiid uh, uh, four minutes they have television there. He's truly um, back. He's truly back. Um, and it is honestly wild. One, seemingly how much better he can be when he's enjoying himself. And two, how much fun it is to watch him when he's enjoying himself. Yeah, I feel like it sucks because coming into this stretch, uh, when when Ben missed the first game against the Nets back from uh, the All-Star break, Embiid just came out and looked awesome and it looked like the most engaged he'd been in a really long time, probably all year. And Ben had looked so good going in to the All-Star break that, you know, in my mind, I was like, all right, maybe this is, maybe this is where we turn it on, right? Like, if those two guys come in and they're right. locked in, like... Maybe this looks different. And then everything else happened with Ben yeah. Simmons. Yes. But um, but if Embiid's going to play like this, it, it at least keeps you alive for right. whether it's a certain amount of time you need to play without Ben Simmons, if it's the rest of the year and the playoffs. I, you're probably not going too deep with without him in the playoffs. But like if Embiid's going to play like this, it at least gives you a shot to, to do something, to not just be a first-round exactly. exit. And to be honest, um, we won't know, knowing our history with the podcast, we'll get an announcement as soon as we're done recording here about Ben Simmons is back. Um, in my pessimistic uh, throws before the game yesterday, I texted, I think I might have texted you, um, where I can put $10 down on stress fracture, um, which I hope is not that bad, obviously. Um, but if he misses, you know, a couple of weeks, right, let's say, uh it's not great for seating for playoff seating, but it could it couldn't it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. You have that rough stretch of those four. It's the first week in March, which is next week essentially. Uh, you got both LA teams, the Kings and the Warriors, um, which 
should probably be a 2-2 two and two if you are a normal team. But on the road, the Sixers are not a normal team. It's likely an 0-4 uh, with Embiid, with Simmons, whatever. But once you're past that and the games before that, you got a relatively easy rest of your schedule. So I think there's really a chance here, and we'll see how it goes, if Simmons misses extended time. It was a, a kind of a perfect storm of things a couple years ago, but when the Sixers went on that run at the end after Joel Embiid broke his face uh, and rang off 16 straight, I think like nine of which uh, Embiid wasn't around for, against, to be honest, subpar competition, uh, this could be the time for the Embiid version of that um, once you clear those road games if Simmons is still out. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think it's also an opportunity... And you kind of saw this with them bringing Horford back in, like an opportunity to maybe try to center things around Embiid in a way that they haven't been able to do with Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons has been so good. But like, obviously, the fit in terms of spacing is not great with Ben Simmons. It's what forced them to, in addition to Al Horford sucking, uh, what forced them to move Al Horford to the bench and try to get more shooting. Like without Simmons, maybe you just play. Maybe you're able to find a way to play differently and yeah. you know, kind of space around him. So it at least offers like some interesting stuff with that, and I have some confidence they can. It just because it's it's what we've seen to this point without Simmons yeah. since the break, like that they can rely on Embiid that way and try to just fill in around him. I guess that's I mean that's essentially the challenge of of Brett Brown, right? To have three different Sixers teams, um, which is one is when Simmons and Embiid are both playing, one is when Embiid's not playing and Simmons is, which happens a lot more frequently than when Simmons isn't playing and Embiid is. Because Simmons has, uh, I think, missed, what, five total regular season games uh, in his career past after the first season of missing all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, when he missed that first season, it was it was Embiid running the team, but that was very, very different personnel back then. Um, so that's the challenge that Burbank has to do. And, and for a lot of that game last night, it looked like it was not going well for Brett or anybody else. But um, whether it was game planning or Embiid just saying fuck it uh, took over in that fourth quarter outscored the Hawks by himself in the fourth quarter which is you know you can say what you about the Hawks having like 17 or 18 wins or whatever but they're a team that's beat the Sixers before unfortunately and they, you know no team should allow one player to outscore them in one quarter the Sixers have done it uh, in the past but um, it's not something that you hope for so when Embiid does that against an opponent, it's not safe. You can't just say, oh, it's the Hawks, whatever. Um, so that was a great sign. However, as we have said on every podcast this year, it's a home game. So you had Embiid scoring a career high. You had whatever magic crystals they've embedded behind, behind uh, or under the floor assisting them in the win. When they hit the road is when it becomes a different story. And they put a... a uh, some stats up on the screen during the game yesterday. So obviously, these don't count yesterday's game. Um, but in the last 12 home games, the Sixers are 12 and 0. Well, 13 now after last night. Should also be worth noting that they opened the season 14 and 0 at home, lost two straight, and have now won 13 in a row at home. So, I mean, that's incredibly impressive. Uh, but so their last 12 at home, 12 and 0. Last 14 on the road, 2 and 12. Um, and in those games, they have exact opposite net ratings, plus 10.7 at home and minus 10.7 on the road. We've talked about this before, and we're going to keep talking about it until the season is actually over. Got to start winning some goddamn road games, right, Max? Indeed. I mean, it's it's really nuts looking back. I mean, obviously the whole season has been this, but just looking at um, 
I'm going back because I keep I'm like trying to find where this trend ends. Okay, since since Christmas, um, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like only one time has the yeah against the Raptors. Oh no, three times they won on the road. No, I'm sorry, two times. Uh, only two times since Christmas have they either lost a game at home or won a game on the road. Like, and basically, their their record since then has been: if they're on the road, they've lost; if they're at home, they've won. Yeah, um, and the because their last home loss was on December twentieth, so those are only road wins. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also worth pointing out, just as, a, as an aside here. Um, I was thinking back to I remembered writing something for Liberty Ballers when I ran Liberty Ballers for about four and a half minutes um, when they went on the uh, the London trip two seasons ago. Um. And that was technically a home game, and some some uh, season ticket holders were mad because they were losing a home game, and so I just decided to look into, oh, you're losing home court advantage. That kind of sucks. Um, and I did some deep dives on some stats from the previous that season and I think the pre- season previous, um, comparing overall win percentage to home win percentage, etc. And uh, the headline was something like, um, the Sixers are technically losing a road a home game by playing in London, but they don't really have home court advantage anyway. I think at that point in the season, they were 500 team and they were 500 at home. Um, they lost that game in London against Boston. And since then, I think they are 79 and 15 at home. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. it feels like it. It doesn't yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I, I just can't but it's understand also, it. It hurts them in a way because you take those home wins for granted. So when they do win them, Last night was fun, but like, yeah, you should win that game at home. And then when you lose it on the road or if you lose one at home, it's like, what the fuck's going on? They're really just like kind of painting themselves into a corner in that way. They're not doing themselves any favors at all. Yeah, it's true. I, I think we've all taken it for granted. And and for that reason, like basically the only games that feel like games that matter are the road games, which yeah. they lose a fuck ton of. And, like, yes. I, and this yes, goes back to like just on the whole this season, like at every point, like every time I look at the record, I'm like, shit, the record's way better than it feels like. Like they're 36 yeah. and 22 and it feels like they're 500. And that's, I think, for that reason that like last night's game is in, in one ear out the other. Uh, yes. Whereas when they lose on the road, that's all I can think about for the next week when I think about how the yeah. Sixers are, are doing. It's worth pointing out right now that the Sixers at this point in the season, as of today, have played... Uh, 29 home games, 29 road games. Uh, on the road, they are 9 and 20. At home, they are 27 and 2. Uh, that is a home win percentage of 93.1 and a road win percentage of 31. Um, there was a stat a couple of weeks ago that if that were to continue, and at this point, their home win percentage is higher, and I think their road win percentage is lower, it would be the worst road win percentage for any team in NBA history. That has won more than 90% of their home games. Um, and then you have to ask yourself, how can that sustain itself in the, in the playoffs? Especially if you're not a one seed, which they're very obviously not going to be. You're going to have to play games on the road. And that brings me, Max, to math. All right, hit me. I've made a mistake, and I've done some math. Because I was thinking to myself, they win 93% of their home games, Right? They lose 31% of their road games. That's there's still a net positive in general. They win 31% of their uh, road games. Sorry. 
So I'm thinking to myself, they're inching closer and closer to that four seed because the Miami Heat are on a skid. How important could that four seed be? And what could that honestly mean? Now, before I go further with this, I just want to say, I'm making a very Stephen A. Smith cadence right now, but I just want to say that I'm being a little facetious here. Like, this is what I'm about to present to you is plausible but incredibly unrealistic for reasons you will begin to understand. That being said, Max, I'm going to lay out the path to winning an NBA title this year. That is, you get that four seed, which means round one, you have home court advantage. In round one, you say you even lose a home game in round one, right? You win three home games and one road game, to, and you go to seven games, right? Yeah, that's the, your, your math is already flawed because you have them winning a game on the road in the playoffs. But they do win 31% of their road games. So it's not impossible. Now hear me out. For the rest of the rounds, round two, they're, now they don't have home court advantage. They win all their home games, and they steal one road game. So they win in six. I feel like the math here isn't that complicated. It's just they, if they never lose at home and can win a third of the time on the road. So win right. yes. one of every three, they'll, they'll not lose a seven-game series. Do the same in round three. Do the same in the finals. But here's why that doesn't sound too crazy. Other than the fact that no NBA champion has ever lost more than five games in the playoffs. And this has them losing nine at least. But it does have them winning 16. At the end, using this formula, at home in the playoffs, they'll be 12-1, and one, which is actually a lower win percentage than they have at home in the regular season. They would also be 4-8 and eight on the road, which is actually a lower win percentage than they have on the road in the season. So, they can technically get a little bit worse at home on the road, have everything else fall completely right, somehow win a seven-game series and then three six-game series and win the series. And, and, and pray the that Joel Embiid's bones don't turn to dust in the process. Look, man, I'm not the one. I'm not, you know, come on. I'm just trying to I'm trying to figure out some it's, math. It's here. true. It's, it's true that if, if you assume that they're unlikely to lose, a, which I, I maybe disagree with, that they're unlikely to, to lose a game at home on in the playoffs. Like, I think it'll just be different. One. They'll, use, they'll lose one. All right, I think even just losing one in that many series is is unlikely. But let's let's even give them that. Like, you're right. There there is a path where they where they don't figure out how to win on the road and still can can do it. Um, they just have to win the right road games. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I I don't think they're beating. I don't think if they if they don't improve not just at home but like if they don't and are not just on the road i just mean generally uh i don't think they're beating milwaukee in a seven game series like i just don't see how that happens especially if, if ben simmons is either uh out or if he's just hobbled in any way or just not himself because of injury or on this a minute restriction or whatever you brought in al horford um to be your quote-unquote Giannis stopper uh, it worked on Christmas Day. It has not worked since. It does not seem to be working because it seemed that for a second there, uh, it's an issue of fit, which it is an issue of fit, and finding the rhythm and finding the spots. But now it seems 
Maybe Al Horford just stinks. So question becomes, if he's not your Giannis stopper in Milwaukee and you have to put that responsibility on, say, Ben Simmons, right? Then at that point, is Al Horford even playable against that team? Didn't seem to be in their last matchups. And if he's not playable, then you got to put a lot of minutes on somebody who is less ready or less prepared and hope that they can step that up. You got to have like your Raja Bell, right? Um, if you can't rely on a Hofer for that. And if it happens the way things happened in the playoffs last year, where, or a lot of the season last year too, where Tobias Harris just can't find a shot and people start sniffing out the Sixers offense because when Tobias Harris can't find a shot and the Sixers backup centers are just siphoning points off and just leaking them everywhere, then they're not a hard team to actually beat when you really play the game plan right. Even though they took the world champions to seven and were forced to lose in a buzzer beater. Um, that's what it depends on, right? It that, is. Those, Go ahead. I think it's it's more than the health because, you know, you saw last year in the, in the early rounds, this is not the team that was last year, and the East in general is better. There's a, a realistic chance that they could win the same amount of games as last year and be a five seed. Right? Yeah. Or even win a game more and still be a five seed when they were a three last year. Um, so the East is harder, and the matchups are harder, and the, and the teams are harder, and the teams are younger. The good teams, the Heat, are very young and very athletic, and they're matched up very well against the Sixers. But you've seen in the past when Embiid misses a game or two or Simmons has an off night, you can still win if those other pieces work. And after years of maneuvering and trying their best, the bench last year sucked. And the idea coming into this one is like, oh, well, it's improved. It's not that much improved. The starting lineup, the starting five is a little bit worse. And the bench is probably barely better. So... That's what's going to come into anything. It's going to be a rotation. You're going to play a nine-man rotation, seven-man rotation even in some games. Those other two guys got to be great. And I don't know who those two guys would be yeah, right now. I, I think right now Alec Burks is your uh, your Raja Bell in this scenario, which is not great. Mm-mm. It's not. It's and the, not and, the, and the, fur, the Furcon Korkmaz experience has sadly faded off. I mean, he's, he's not he's terrible. Fine, but it's it's not yeah. like, oh, shit, is he actually going to be, like, a factor during, no. down the I stretch? No, I mean, not, not, to, not to to put Furkan down, though, because he went from being a guy who we were like... Again, his path is, is astonishing, that he asked for a trade. They were like, no, no, we're not going to... No, shut up, no. And then they declined his option, and he came back and actually turned into an NBA player finally. He's finally an NBA player now. Um, he's not shooting like 54% from three, which he was for like a three-week span or something like that, but he's functional. Yeah, oh, he's functional totally functional. Playoffs is going to be... Time will tell, but... That's the biggest concern for me. Like, yeah, all the math I explained that's doable, make that work, whatever. Um, and last year, you know... I felt better about facing Milwaukee going into the playoffs than I did about facing Toronto. And maybe I would have been wrong. But they played Toronto real well. They they that Tiberius is winnable. Who knows what would have happened afterwards, but 
this year, Milwaukee scares the shit out of me because they are playing. It's insane how well they're playing. I, mean, I think it I felt saw, like they didn't miss a shot when they played us. Like every time they got an open look. Yeah. I don't know if it was during the Sixers. Last time the Sixers played them, or I was watching something else in League Pass that um, the point differential they have. Um, no team has ever had a differential close to that and not won the NBA title. Like they would at this point, if if they carry on, be the best team in NBA history to not win the championship if that were the case. So that's what you're fighting against, and because you know if you're a five seed or you slip down to a to a six or you're down there wherever, I don't think there's a chance that you that someone takes Milwaukee out first before before you get a chance to. Your job is to stop them at that point, and then everything else is gravy after that. That's that's what you gotta try to do. And this team has constructed right now with and I think a lot of it falls on Horford completely falling off a cliff and Tobias being very inconsistent. Uh Josh has been missing games with injuries, but he's been pretty quiet lately. Um, you know, you got to flip the switch, but the time is running out to do that. It's not going to happen in the playoffs. It's got to happen before that and get that rhythm. And it's questionable. It's fun to watch the win last night in B Josh 49, but you really got to question the structure and the way the team is built and the way the front office is structured. And it's going to be a very interesting offseason when the most likely outcome happens that they, again, do not reach further than the second round, if not before that. That, that stat you, you pulled out about Milwaukee is kind of crazy, given that the 73-9 and nine Warriors did not win the finals. So their differential is better yeah. than that. I believe it is. I'll look it up right now if you want to just vamp on something for a minute. Yeah, um, I, I guess something... Unless you have more to say on this, I, I did want to kind of move on specifically to the Simmons stuff. Are you yep, ready for that? Absolutely. Yeah, so yes. I don't know. I'm not feeling great. I, I know most people are not feeling great. I know, Jim, you're not feeling great. Um, I just feel like we've been through this before and kind of know how it ends. And I, I can think of very few situations in which uh, an important player, or even not important, honestly, like it's happened with way lesser players, um, goes down. There's some uncertainty about it. They come back at some point. Um, seemingly like sooner than you would think uh, they miss more time there's like it's talked about as more precautionary they're doing they're going to reevaluate at some point and then it's like you said like you texted me it's like then he's out for the year with a broken foot right or, yeah. or, a, bro- or a broken lower back right like that's yes uh, or a stress fracture like I, I just feel like that's where we're heading um, I don't know if it's that but like I don't know. It's that it's that thing where like Brett Brown clearly wants to say more, and he's like alluding to it being worse than the Sixers are letting on. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. Were you watching the? I guess it was on ABC, so there was only that broadcast, the ABC broadcast. But it was hilarious when so Simmons. It's like what five minutes into the game, uh, four minutes into the game, he like pulls up, holding his lower back. Next time down the floor uh, on defense, he like. Signals to the bench, Thibault, or it knows when he took the free throw, Thibault intentionally fouls, and then Ben mm-hmm. Simmons runs directly to the locker room. And then, like, three minutes later, I think it was Cassidy Hubberth was the sideline reporter. They're like, 
All right, we just talked to the Sixers. Um, they're saying uh, this was all part of the plan uh, for him to go to the locker room and receive treatment whenever he was out of the game. It's like, it was laughable. It was like North Korean yeah. propaganda. Like, like we're supposed to believe that that Matisse Seibel intentionally fouled to get Ben Simmons, who was just holding his lower ba- his injured lower back, to get him out of the game so they could do the planned treatment that I guess they do three minutes and 47 seconds into his first stint. Like, it, yeah. it's just... It's like a shocking level of uh, disrespect for, for for fans that the Sixers continue to show, and and like it's not lost on me and lost on a lot of other people who've noted this that season ticket renewals just went out this week, mm-hmm. right? Like that, and we've seen this story a million times, right? Like once they get to a good point with that, then we'll we'll find out that Ben Simmons is out for the year, right? Like that's right. and that's just how it has gone and how it continues to go and it's just like it's it's honestly a criminal <laughs> the, right. the, the way they operate because here's the thing too right so uh just really quickly i looked it up um on a per game basis the warriors that warriors team outscored teams by uh like just over 10 points and milwaukee's mm-hmm. doing it by 12 wow so on a per That's game insane. basis so they're on pace to have a larger um gap so uh, yeah, the way so the way that played out is if you remember, I believe Sim was either going up for a layup or a, or a rebound, landed kind of stiff. One, I think, right? Or no, he no, no, no. Because he, he so he, he landed kind of stiff. Yeah, um, and like not as bouncy. And you can see he kind of reached for his back, and then he was still in the game. The game kept going, and he was running up, real upright. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I made, I made a comment that when he ran off the court because he was so stiff, I'm like, oh, maybe he just like pooed his pants a little because that's like he had really short strides, was real upright, and that's how you would, that's how you would run if you shit yourself. That's all I was saying, trying to make light of what it was obviously a very stressful situation for everybody watching. Um, but he kept playing like that. It wasn't that wasn't the play on which he was pulled out after. So he played it around. Then he got fouled. Then Thibault did foul intentionally to get Simmons out of the game because it was probably a full squad rotation and he was shooting the free throw so like he has to come off but like but obviously you only do like, that if he needs to get off like it's not like you intentionally moment. foul in yes. t- to do that ever if someone's not hurt and not yet like you said it's laughable not only is the idea that he was going to play and then at every sub you just go work on his back not only is that kind of insane and felt to me immediately like a lie I don't know who told them that and then when they asked Brett about that right before it was like in the in between uh, quarters, right before it was announced that Simmons was out for the rest of the game, they had said to Brett like, oh, like we were told that he was going to get treatment every stoppage or whatever. And Brett didn't really answer that question. Um, don't know if he didn't hear the full details of it, or he, but he didn't say like just that was the plan and whatever. He just kind of gave a, a vague answer. Um, if that was the plan, that's stupid. It sounds like they made it up and it was a lie. But if a player who's not any player at all, even if it's not one of your two franchise cornerstones and your best defensive player, like your 1A, 1B, best offensive and defensive player between your two, two there. Um, and you think that he's sore enough or tight enough in his back that every single time he's out of the game, he should be getting worked on from the second he leaves the court to the second he goes back on maybe he shouldn't play. Yeah. That seems like logical, common sense. However, that is not how the Sixers tend to do things. 
Um, and it's, at this point, I'll just throw it, throw this out here too. It's a little bit of, we'll talk about it more eventually because I want to give Max a chance to take a look at it too. Um, but I was, uh, the publishers of the new Tanking to the Top uh, book written by uh, your own Weitzman uh, were, were uh, nice enough to send me a, a review copy and I blew through it. And reading that as all this is happening and a little bit of palace intrigue about front office stuff and this and that and all that kind of stuff just really makes you lose faith in the organization as a whole. Um, if I had read this in an off season when there's nothing going on, I'd be like, all right, you know, they've had some problems in the past. And we're going to have like reading that while all this is going on with the team right now. Recommended read for sure comes out in, I think, on St. Patty's Day, actually. Um, we'll talk about it more a little bit later in another pod. But uh, that really just gives you the, the full full face value shock of how little faith I have in this organization as a whole. Yeah. And I feel like it was always kind of that way, right? Where um, you could say post-Hinky, but even with Hinky, there was this idea. And I feel like ownership has gotten more involved post-Hinky. But even with Hinky, there was always the back of your mind question like, he can tank and he can acquire, but can he turn it into building, right? Once he was gone, he didn't have a chance to do that anyway. So like he's out. And then a lot of people didn't like Brian uh, for a lot of reasons. People didn't like the front office. People didn't like ownership. Brian goes. They bring in Elton. A lot of people don't trust Elton because of his lack of experience. Uh, they don't trust the front office because it's all the same people that were behind Brian to begin with. They don't trust ownership because it's all the same people anyway. So it's been the symptom the entire time. And it seems like the root cause of all of these problems going back to Nerland's Noel missing time has never been sussed out and taken care of. No. So this is the same franchise that, you know, was having, you know, putting like Michael Carter Williams on the floor when you should have shoulder surgery, bullshit like that when nothing even mattered. That's this is every, pretty much like you remove a GM and replace him with another GM, you know, a, a couple of people here and there. But for the most part, it's the same exact franchise. And we didn't trust them then, and they're not showing us any reason to trust them now. One, ownership's the same, and business ops has been the same since yep. after the first year. And that first year was basically just, like, Adam Aaron running the team like Donald Trump through Twitter. Like, it was just him, like, right. doing crazy shit. And, like, I remember he would, like, start tweeting. He would, like, reply to fans at, like, 3 a.m. and talk about injured players and stuff. Like... So that that almost makes me feel like, okay, is this coming from ownership? And maybe when they first bought the team and let Adam Aaron do his thing, like they just weren't as involved. But like the real change seems like it. I, I always I think like most people attribute it attributed it to uh, the hiring of Hinky. But like at the same time, they also hired Scott O'Neill. They also brought in Brett Brown and all that, like all those people. So it's like really hard. to, And most of those guys are still there. So it's like hard to figure out where that's yeah. coming from. It doesn't feel like it's coming from Brett Brown. Uh, it's a question of to me of like whether it's a business thing or ownership or both. Um, but I mean, it, it's all it's all one thing, right? Yeah, it's all one thing. Um, it's all one thing. But I don't I don't necessarily think that it has anything to do with uh, Brian Colangelo's people still being there or whatever. Like, I just feel like it's not really related to on court. It feels like it's it feels like it's about image and about continuing to sell tickets, and it's the same reason that. Um, they wouldn't announce Embiid was sitting out in a back-to-back -back when it was at right. home until the day of because they wanted to sell as many tickets as they could, which is like, mm -hmm. again, bullshit. And like, I just it's, have... the, it's the stuff up thing in general. Yeah. Right. So this, I remember when this first happened. We're going back years now. I uh, had said 
at one point as soon as that was announced. So if you don't know uh, which seats are owned by the team and which seats are owned by fans, right? How do you know that the Sixers aren't manipulating the ticket prices? And I remember sending an email like the day after the sub up deal was announced, and it was a ba- the, the with paraphrasing. So don't get mad at me, Sixers organization, for the thousandth thing you get mad at me about. Was essentially, we won't trust us. And then, if you remember, soon after that, Kobe Bryant announced he was retiring, and the very next game after that was uh, Sixers game here in in Philadelphia, and those prices skyrocketed and it couldn't have been everyone reselling right so the Sixers had to be involved and this is just anecdotal I'm not a season ticket holder uh, but I know people who are season ticket holders who are incredibly frustrated with this organization not only because of the raising of ticket prices but because when there are games you can't go to or games you want to sell in order to make some money back or at least break even the Sixers then have the ability to undercut you as a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar franchise to essentially take money out of the their season ticket holders' pockets by undercutting them on, on ticket prices. And that is ridiculous. You can say free market and fair market and the idea of face value is a is a past ideal. And I say horse shit. It's 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 greedy money grubbing is what it is. And I know that's what sports ownership is, and that's what all owners are, and that's what all organizations are, but the Sixers have done the same shit like that over and over and over and over again. And the reason that I mentioned the Colangelo people being the same was not to blame Brian for every, anything else that he's not blamed for already. It's just the fact that since this ownership group came on, since Brett came in, it seemed like all these changes, but it really hasn't been. There haven't been many changes. I still say like the last decision ownership actually made was to hire Brett Brown on, on a basketball side. Because Jerry came in either by the NBA or at their request by the NBA. Jerry brought in Brian. They just chose Brian. And then they chose Elton from their ranks already. It was just the easy call every time. Like when they when they brought Brian on, they said that they interviewed 75 people. That was horseshit. There's no reason to trust anything that these people say. And I, it's one of those things where you get to the point where on court things aside, you got to wonder if they can ever really put anything together with the people that are in charge in charge well said it's not it's not a uh, it's pretty bleak pretty bleak future it feels yeah. like no matter regardless like how how well uh set up the team is for the future it's like you you can only go so far as in the long run as far as ownership and leadership and whatever lets you go and i i feel like not super confident that they're going to make the right decisions moving forward with whether it's with players health uh with roster moves with like if they were to if they were to to get rid of brett brown like who they would hire as their next coach that feels like very easily i could see that being like oh let's bring in mark jackson or you know they'll bring in someone who's a name who is an easy hire in the same way that brian colangelo was yeah and, you know, it's kind of always felt, um, going back to the hinky things as well, when we were like scrappy underdog fighting, fighting against the man to build his team. Um, there's always been that kind of back of your head feeling that if this team ever wins anything, it's me in spite of the the ownership and not because of it. Um, and, you know, they still have a lot of control. There's still plenty of things they can do, even with 
you know, you can make some moves in the offseason still. You can really... But the, the just the relationship between the team and the city often feels, like, antagonistic, to say the least. Yeah. Hmm. So. Um, in terms of on the floor... Are you surprised at all that Hal Neto hasn't taken some of those minutes now that, that Ben Simmons isn't playing? Not really. Um, I mean, Shane Milton played Net- 27 minutes last game. It just feels like... I know he's been playing better as of late, but it, I don't know. I'd rather see a point guard on the floor for some of those minutes than, than Milton. But, I mean, isn't the idea the same idea with around Simmons and Embiid is essentially the same, right? Surround with shooters. Neto can shoot. You know, he can shoot the corner three. He can shoot the three a little bit. He can shoot off the dribble a little bit too, which is nice. But of all the available players, he's the smallest, the least likely to shoot, and the worst defensively. He might be the best distributor, but I think he's probably a net negative compared to the other guys that are available. And again, I think it's a lot of his matchup base too. He's very, you know, you play a lot of these teams like... Not that they would have done a great job anyway, even though they, they held him decent, but like, can you imagine Neto guarding Trey Young last night? Yeah, it's true. He's, you know, it's a big jump defensively when you can have Simmons guarding a point guard, even if he wouldn't have done it in that matchup last night where he should have, may have. A defensive player of the year caliber player who's 6'10 and can get in, the, get in front of smaller guards and then Hull Neto who really can't guard anybody and is barely six foot tall. Yeah, it's that's the biggest loss, honestly. Like losing that losing that guy who can match up defensively um, right. against Giannis, you know, so that mm-hmm. Embiid doesn't have to do it. Um against smaller guards sometimes. Like it it and switch on every everything. It sucks. Yeah. And and the, and the team is generally, you know, even without Simmons in the lineup, uh the team is generally built to play big and long. Right, as much as they possibly can, and Neto's on neither of those things. Not that you know, not that Shake Milton's enormous, but got a nice wingspan. Yeah, and maybe you're maybe you're right too about if they're going to space the floor around Embiid, maybe they don't need that. Maybe they maybe they don't run as much pick and roll with Embiid and how Neto is. You know, if he if he were playing more, maybe you do just space around him, and maybe you you like use Al Horford a little bit more as a passer because that's like the one thing he can still do. Like I mean, to yeah, that's, some that's, yeah, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, that's, let's that's hope, let's hope yeah. that after we post this episode, it's announced that Ben Simmons will come back next week and we'll be okay. No, I don't want that. You don't want that? No. Why? I want, cause if they say next week, then it means he should come back in two weeks. True. I think, let me, all right. I think he should come back. At the earliest, like at this point, right, we're not, you know, we're a half game currently today. The Sixers are half game out of the four seed. The Heat are skidding. There's time to make that up, right? There's still games left. A half game is, is essentially tied. So you're not worried about having to win the next three to like get into that playoff spot, right? You have some time. Um, and like I said, the, outside of a couple of games and that road trip, you're looking at a pretty a pretty light schedule. So they play at Cleveland tomorrow. Uh, the Knicks at home on Thursday. 
And then next week, uh, Sunday at Clippers, Tuesday at Lakers, Thursday at uh, Sacramento, uh, Saturday at Golden State. And then they're off until uh, the 11th. They have three days off. And that is Detroit at home. That's the game, I think, that we're good with. Yeah, if because you, if, I, I'm assuming that if he's coming back, he's not going to be on the road for this. Yeah, he he tweaked something, if you believe the, the story that this team is saying, essentially. He tweaked something in the first practice back from the All-Star break. Um, missed the next game. Uh, and then he plays the game after that. So if the practice was on Wednesday... He misses the game Thursday. Misses the game, there's no game Friday. He plays Saturday and hurts himself again. So that was a three game span or three day span between tweaking and, and injuring again. So if you think he's good to come back, give him another four days. Then have him come back then. Which I think is why that even if they're like, you know what? He's good. He feels great. We're just going to keep an eye on him for next week and have our eye on that Detroit game. That's the safe way if he's not really injured. If he's actually injured, like, take your goddamn time. Honestly, if he wants to take until until the end of March, I don't. I'm fine, right? right? Like, I think it's important to get a top four seed, but you're you're locked in pretty much to not having to play. Um, well, certainly not having to play Toronto, but not having to play Boston either. So it's like, if you don't have, you're not going to have home court past the first round. If you don't have home court right. against Miami or, um, uh. Toronto or something, that's fine. I think I said Toronto earlier. I meant Milwaukee. You're not going to play Milwaukee in the first round. But, like, right. if you had to play Toronto, had to play Boston, had to play Miami in the first round, not having home court, I, I think that you'll be okay. Like, I don't think that's going to make the difference. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Um, and if, it, right, and if it does, I think you you have it tells you what you need to know about this team. Like, if they're not going to win that series, yeah, then... Are, are they going to make it much further than that? And like, I, I'm, right. I'm just saying, I guess I would, I would rather have Simmons be as healthy as possible than get that one, yeah. that one home game in the first round. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, all right. We're pretty much done. Don't have a ton of time of questions, but I do want to take one. If that's right with you, Max. Sure. All right. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. It's from Corver ain't me has nothing to do with basketball, which is the questions that I like. He asks, would you rather be given $10 million right now, I'm assuming tax-free, uh, or have your body for the rest of your life always be in your ideal condition regardless of what you eat or how much you exercise? And you also won't get diseases that stem from eating slash exercise habits. So I followed up and said, any restrictions on what I can use the $10 million for? And also, can I be taller? I said, can't be taller. Make the question too easy. But is ideal ideal isn't whatever my my peak was at some point in my life. What, it's like no, whatever. If you I want. like, if I'd fucking like gone ham on like right. eating chicken yeah. and rice and working out every day, what right. I would have looked like when I was nineteen. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming you would also age, so like you would look like when you're Damn. fifty, you wouldn't look nineteen. You look like but a really I look good like a really good. Probably. I'd be like the Jeff Goldblum of fifty-five year olds. Right. Exactly. All right. Uh, uh, I, I think I take that, that honestly. Like, wait, that sounds awesome. That sounds great. He says, "Specified can't be taller. Uh, Ten million dollars can go to literally anything that you desire that actually exists, including plastic surgery, private chef, etc." You're taking the the physical appearance. You know, thing. it's stupid because I, I, ten million dollars is a lot of money, but I think 
I mean, we're ta- we're saying too that well, no, I guess that's not the thing. He's not saying we can't get heart disease or can't get can't get no, cancer, but nothing that would, that, but nothing that would be caught. Like, like if you're just like if you have that perfect body because of this, you can eat whatever the fuck you want. You Does know, the fact that I have foods. a perfect body mean that I'm like less likely to get arthritis, less likely to you know what I mean? Like because I'm not carrying extra weight because I would say so because it says you won't get diseases that stem from your eating slash exercise habits. So sure. Okay. I already do have some slight arthritis in my knee. So, but my ideal version of myself doesn't have that. Yeah. So I don't know. As someone who, who deals with like chronic ankle pain and right. various other <laughs> ailments and uh, has struggled with their weight their entire life. Like, yeah, that'd be kind of, that'd be kind of nice to, cause I feel like I passed the point where even if I did everything I, I wanted or everything I could possibly do, I would never know what my true peak physical condition was um right because i'm 30 now or 31 yes uh so i think i might take that i I might take that over the 10 million just because uh also i i think the longevity i know that it's not saying you can't possibly get heart disease or whatever but i think a big factor is is how you take care of yourself and if we're assuming i'm living like it's the equivalent of living the healthiest life possible that probably on, on average, probably gives me a few extra years. That might be worth it to me. Yeah. Um, I'm taking the $10 million because, one, motherfucker, I got bills. And two, I've always kind of said, like, when famous people are in, like, really great shape, I'm like, yeah, well, they got money and time. But they, still have, to, but they still have to do it. Like, Right. But, like, they don't have, like, to get up and go to a nine-to-five and, like, worry about, that's true. like, student loan payments and shit like that. And I've always said, like, if, you know, if I had that money and that much time, I could be in that good shape. And I'm probably wrong, but I'd love to put my own bullshit to the test. The question, too, is, See like... See how wrong I am. The question, too, is, like, $10 million is a ton of money. I guess it depends on, like, what you do with that money if you invest it right. and you're able to, like, live off of that and just, like, have it continue to accrue because i don't know if like at age 30 if you were just given 10 million dollars it's not like you would never have to work again could do everything you wanted to do could travel all the time could like have a personal chef right like that money would run out fairly fast if you were living like that so the question is like does the 10 million dollars obviously it's going to improve your life a lot um but does it change i guess does it does it allow you to do all those things you're you're saying you'd want to do yeah but. There's also the question of um, when you change your physical body to your ideal condition, can you also change your brain chemistry and get rid of depression and anxiety? Because if that's the case, I'm taking that one. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a good question. I feel like that's probably yeah. not what they were getting at. But but also, yeah. though, you know, um, oh, well, two, does it not matter? This is a big a big factor. Does it not matter how much sleep I get? Like. Am I just in peak? Like I'm always energized. I'm always like feeling good in my consider, body and not slug, yeah. uh, not sluggish at all. Or like the effects, like you said, of anxiety and depression because of lack of sleep. Aren't I would aren't say there. if I can if I can read into this question, yeah, uh, how it says for the rest of your life always be in your ideal condition regardless of what you eat or how much you exercise. I think I can. You can probably rope sleep into that. Now I don't think you can like stay up for weeks on end. Yeah, but like on less sleep, you can probably feel fine. That, and not that's have a big factor, though. Negative. Because that think, is a huge. That I think is in huge. that way, like if imagine, you know, like obviously there are other factors in depression and anxiety. I'm not saying it's all like just eat better and get more sleep, but that'll help. Like if you're if you're getting the effects of 
uh, working out all the time, uh, eating really well, sleeping like the eight to nine hours a night you're supposed to, even if you don't actually do that. Like, I think that'll help all those. Like, I think it'll just feel way better in addition to like looking really good and being healthier. Right. Like, I think you'll, you'll emotionally feel way better. But I think it would also make you feel better not and, having to worry about things financially for a, a decent amount true. of time. Yeah. It's a toss up. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come down on the money side of it since that was my initial answer, but both are tempting. Right, that was a good question, though. I like that. Yeah, it was good. All right. Thank you for the question. Corvate me. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. Um, we will be back uh, in the near future to talk more uh, basketball, I guess. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Thanks a lot. See ya. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.